Welcome to Bougie Booze, a podcast hosted by a brother and sister from another mister. I'm David. I'm Cam. Thank you for listening as we talk about Black culture, Asian culture, pop culture, culture culture, and quite frankly, anything else we want to talk about. So how are you today, Boo? What's going on? I am nice and rested. I feel good. I feel energized. Um, I'm actually just getting back from Coronado. For our listeners out there, um, Coronado is San Diego, essentially. So it's just over the Coronado Bridge and it's its own little island. And what's funny is, so I can't swim, but I enjoy being around water. Water (laughs) relaxes me. It's soothing. Yeah, it's just the sound of it. And like my skin likes being by water. I don't know. I'm just like bright. Yeah. So I felt really good being in, in Coronado and really I didn't do much. I, I ate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nothing new to our listeners. They know we love to eat. So I ate and I relaxed and um, I stayed at Coronado Island Marriott. So it's just right off the water and the resort itself, you know, has bikes. You can ride bikes around the resort and rent boogie boards or just take a walk. And they have a really nice restaurant on property. It's called Albaca, not alpaca. <laughs> not alpaca. <laughs> they're not, they're not going to spit in your eye. <laughs> I will not be dining there if that's what happens. No, no, thank you. Not for me. Well, the other question is, were there killer birds after you this time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was cute. It was a cute little brown one. And it was just sitting on the chair, like whistling at me. And I'm like, no, you're not getting a piece of my calamari. <laughs> He's like, let me holler at you, girl. <laughs> but so albaca was really nice. I sat poolside oh, nice. and I had a little bougie snack. So I didn't have a, a meal there, just a plate of calamari. And then I had a house margarita. But what was really good about the calamari it was played it very nicely. It came with a charred lemon. So fancy way of saying lemon that's a little burnt. Yeah, basically burnt <laughs> lemon. But it had a nice schmear of its Hoja Santa Rumelade. And what's funny is I do not like mayonnaise. I, I know kinda, you don't. You do not. You've always said that to me. <laughs> I kind of gag when it's, it's on my food and I ask not to have mayo. And I know sauces like remoulade have mayo in it, Mm -hmm. but as long as the mayo is blended with something, I can eat it. And this remoulade sauce was so good. So you have to freshly squeeze lemon on top of the calamari. And then I'm putting a smear of the remoulade sauce on the calamari. And the calamari had a nice, um, almost like pinko. Oh, I love that. Breading. It was so good. So Not too oily. It's perfect. No, it's perfect. Yes. So if I was the bird, I would have <laughs> tried to, you know, shoot my shot too. <laughs> but sorry, bird, didn't get any. I'm yeah. sure somebody else will feed him. Yes. Well, I mean, that's where they, that's why they're there, right? They yeah. hang out at that area. People drop food all the time. And the area is really nice because, so it's overlooking the pool and then not too far from the pool, you have the bay. So you're just surrounded by water, pretty scenery. 
nice ocean breeze. So yeah, I was just kind of like in my own world, enjoying my margarita and calamari. That's it should be if you're going for R and R, but you know, you're gonna get this reputation in the bird community. They're like, don't go to camp. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, hey, I've had my fair share of stories about birds. <laughs> and I'm thinking they do say go to Cam because they won't leave me alone. <laughs> well, it's funny that you bring that up uh, in terms of Coronado and birds, because I remember the time I went to Coronado and that's the first time I saw a pelican. And I've talked about a pelican before, mm-hmm. but not the Coronado ones. They were humongous. <laughs> I was so scared. I didn't realize they were that they were like dinosaurs. I did not realize how big they were. Like Raptosaurus or whatever the name is. <laughs> you can tell it's the prehistoric features, especially the beak. Mm-hmm. The beak yeah. looks prehistoric. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't want to get scooped up. I'm big enough already, but they look big. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, birds have been known to like scoop up baby goats and stuff and fly off with them. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, we talk about the next Jurassic Park movie. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> okay, but so because I only had a snack at Albaca, I still needed to have dinner because I'm just not going to have calamari and, and be satisfied. So I decided on flavors of East Africa for dinner, which was delicious. Uh, this place has a 4.5 rating on Google with over 500 reviews. And so if our listeners out there, if you like African food, particularly East African food, I would recommend this place. It's really good. Mm. Um, I've had East African food before in East Africa. <laughs> I've, I've been to Kenya. And so I know what traditional East African food should taste like. Yeah. And this place really gets it spot on. They, you get yourself get some fufu and a goosey. What, what's, what's happening? Oh, look at you. Look at you term. I know, I know. I did not have ugali. So another term for for fufu is ugali. Mm -hmm. And and I actually, for our listeners who aren't familiar with ugali, it's um, a type of stiff maize flour porridge made in Africa and you eat it with your hands. And so because I've had ugali many of times, I wanted to try something different. So I opted for their saffron rice, which was very uh, fragrant, very fluffy. But the saffron rice, I got it with oxtails and collard greens. Mm. It was so good. I and- love me a good oxtail. Mm. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to take you there because these oxtails, so tender and flavorful, just falling off the oxtail bone. Not only that, but the cartilage part. And I know our listeners probably like cartilage. Ew. <laughs> Even the cartilage was good. Mm. And I know my waiter probably was looking at me like, dang, this girl is really enjoying her food. I'm sure he's seen people <laughs> sucking on that bone, sucking it dry. I mean, there's no cute way to eat an oxtail though. <laughs> right? Like, no, you you're have, right. You're right. You have to kind of suck in. <laughs> That's why I, I try to eat my oxtail in private. <laughs> well, and then that was the thing. I was like, should I take these bones back to my hotel room <laughs> so I can really enjoy them. And I was like, no, I won't, I won't do that. But yes. Yeah, so I got three meaty oxtails. Right. And it was like hitting the lottery <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, oxtails sometimes cannot be meaty. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can be tough. Yes. But these ones were meaty and tender 
and I got three large ones, mm. I was I was in heaven. I was you're about to make me cry. <laughs> I almost did. <laughs> Don't bring a tear to my eye once I try these oxtails. So, yes, but the whole plate was thirty dollars. Again, three meaty oxtails. That's really good. It was yeah. it was reasonable and. I didn't, once my food came, I was happy to pay the $30 because you got a good helping of collard greens, good helping of rice, the meaty oxtails drenched in their nice sauce that was flavorful, a little bit spicy, but then also- Succulent. Ooh, I like that word. <laughs> but I didn't even, I forgot to mention that I got sambusas as well. Hmm. Have you had sambusas before? I haven't had it. I know what they are, but I haven't had it. So for our listeners out there, um, sambusas are kind of they're like a triangular shaped pastry and it has a filling. And the sambusa that I chose was the spicy beef, but they also had chicken, spinach, potato, cream cheese, pineapple, and spicy lentil. Yeah, I mean, culturally, that's similar to a lot of different things. Like empanadas. Yeah, yeah. or like... Um, yeah, like even almost like your Rangoons that you made. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because when I saw the, the cream cheese pineapple, I'm like, mm. Mm, or the cream. Indian samosas, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, like it's culturally the they're very similar across the board. But yeah, I know that's but that's why it's like I haven't had it, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, and the sambosas, they were two twenty five each and I got two of them because I was being a little greedy. <laughs> really, I should have got one. Because the oxtail plate was so hefty. Yeah, you so got three I, big old meaty pieces of oxtail. Um, <laughs> but speaking of oxtail, though, have you seen that picture going around on Instagram? And it says, this is a picture of an oxtail. Are you sure you want to eat it? No, I have not seen that. I mean, it does not look appetizing. But guess what? Once I see that picture, I'm like, yep, I'm still going to eat it. Because it don't look like that when I eat it. Well, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, even if I saw it, I'd be like, um, have you tasted it? <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've talked about this before. We're very open to trying new foods or different foods because, I mean, yes, you go to the grocery store and you see, you know, how food is, how it looks when it's coming from the factory or after it's been processed, but you're not there when it's being processed or you don't know what that food went through before it came on your plate. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I've never been opposed to eating oxtails and neck bones and I mean I don't eat chitlins regularly but I have tried chitlins and pig ears and all that stuff well see that's the thing uh, it always boggles my mind when people try something like this is delicious I, I could have eat this all day and then you say oh that's a, a cow's tongue and they're like ugh, I'm gonna throw this up it's like but you were just enjoying that so what's the difference now that now that you know what it is it yeah. doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Um, and cow tongue is really good. I enjoy me a good lingua taco. Exactly. Mm, chopped up with some on- onions. Oh my gosh. People are like, you guys do some crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I definitely would recommend flavors of East Africa. If you nice. are in the San Diego area, I really enjoyed my experience there. And it's just like a cute little hole in the wall place, but it really is a hidden gem if, if you are able to try it. So, oh, and then also. Oh, more food? There's more. <laughs> well, the, the next day I was like, well, I don't want 
another heavy meal because I just ate all that African food. So I was looking for a happy hour just for kind of like some light bites. And I came across this place called Feast and Fairway. And that's at the, at the Coronado Golf Club. So it's on Coronado Island. So to be clear, Flavors of East Africa is not on Coronado Island. Oh, okay. So you have to leave the island, aka go across the bridge. And it's about, probably about a 15 minute drive. Um, but Feast and Fairway is actually on Coronado Island. And it's literally a five minute drive from the Marriott that I stayed at. And I'm very happy that I found this place. I do plan on going back to visit. And they just renovated in 2019. So brand new grounds on the property. So the golf course is the same, but the way they um, constructed the actual restaurant parts, very nice. So you have indoor seating and outdoor seating. And I opted for the outdoor seating because again, you know, I wanted that nice ocean breeze <laughs> on me sitting out there relaxing. But the happy hour specials were really surprising, especially for Coronado. You know, Coronado is known to be more expensive, a little bit more expensive is, than yeah. regular quote unquote mainland. But the drink specials at Feast and Fairway. So they had house wine, glass of house wine for $5, which I thought was good. So I got a glass of um, Chardonnay because I wanted to be fancy while sitting outside enjoying the breeze. <laughs> but their food specials, I was surprised. So chicken wings, $8. Oh. And I ordered the chicken wing because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get, you know, like the drumettes. Well, when they bought the chicken wings out, it was three giant whole wings. Oh, wow. Slathered in buffalo sauce. <laughs> <laughs> they look so good and I'm like okay this is different but once you think about it if you cut the wing in half you'll have the drumette portion and then you'll have the wing portion so basically a six-piece bone-in wing for eight bucks wow. which I thought I thought was reasonable but not only that because you know I was there to enjoy myself I got fish tacos seven dollars so I got one grilled one fried the tacos were good. Fish was seasoned really well. Nice, crisp, fresh cabbage slaw. And it did have some type of like mayo sauce. But again, because it was blended with something else, I kind of tricked my mind into saying <laughs> it was not mayo. <laughs> and then I got an order of garlic fries, $4. So I did not eat all that food. I did take some of the chicken wings back, but I ordered everything. Well, not everything, but a variety of things because I wanted to taste the different um, food choices that they had. So, Well, as Retta and Aziz Ansari's characters in Parks and Recreation would say, treat yourself. Which I did. <laughs> and that's what we like to do because, you know, if you have worked and you've earned that money, why not spend it and treat yourself? Exactly. Yeah. So to our listeners out there, if you are ever in the Southern California area and you want to visit San Diego, just go to Coronado Island as well, because again, Feast and Fairway, you would be really surprised. Beautiful grounds and reasonable food, I would say. That's nice. Well, and it's okay. You have the really nice beaches there. But one reason that I like Coronado Island is because I went to the, the Grand Coronado Hotel that's out there. Mm -hmm. you know, you, you'll know when you see it. Yes. 
giant red and white building. Well, I feel like whenever you Google Coronado Island, that's the hotel that pops up. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I had a, a, a lunch there and I had the surf and turf. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Then I said to myself and actually was with um, work colleagues and I said, um, hey, did you guys know this hotel is really haunted? And they weren't aware of, because, you know, I'm really into the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So I said, I need to get up to this certain room up there because that's where all the hauntings happen. I want to just at least see the door and walk around it. And this room, I forgot the, actually the, the actual room number, but they only rent that room out uh, once a year on Halloween night. So I guess you have to get on this list to get that room. Oh, wow. Okay. And I don't know if people have had paranormal experiences, but, you know, it's been on TV shows. And so I was like, I need to go see this room, at least see the door. And the hallways up there are very narrow and they're very, they're well lit and bright. And the carpet is red, at least the last time I was there. And it kind of reminded me of the scary hallways and the shining. Mm, See, nope. As soon as the elevator doors open, I would have looked out and been like, mm, I'll go back downstairs. Thank you. Well, and I remember it said the to only go upstairs if you were a guest. But I was like, I need to see this room. So I, me and I, a couple colleagues went up and we snuck up there. Uh-huh. And so I, I found the room and I said, OK, here it is. And at first it was like, OK, cool. So we started walking away from the door. And as we were walking, we heard thumping footsteps behind us. Mm-mm. And we knew it wasn't us because it didn't sound any different when we were walking to the door. So now we hear this thumping behind us. We look behind us and there's nothing there. And so they're looking at me. I'm like, it's not me because, you know, they're thinking I'm the paranormal one trying to prank them. Wait, and nobody started running at this point? No, no. But yeah, I was keeping a calm demeanor because I, for me, I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, but well, actually... You know, I, I hate to typecast my coworker, but she was a black female. She was kind of freaking out a bit. <laughs> I mean, if she wasn't, I'll be looking at her like, girl, now you know. <laughs> so because of her, we had to try to rush our steps, you know, to get off the floor. <laughs> I understand completely. <laughs> but I, you know, I said, I looked at them. I was like, wasn't that cool? And they're looking at me like, are you crazy? No. <laughs> How is that cool being scared? Well, I I don't get scared, though. That's the thing. And so that's why I want to maybe go ghost hunting one of these days. And when I'm filming, I'm not going to be one of those people who runs away as soon as they see something. Because, you know, when they get to the good part, they start running away. I'm like, no, keep on. Keep your camera on that. Well, guess what I'll be doing while you're ghost hunting? Yeah, I know. Do you, will you even be in the building with me? I mean, no, I would be praying for you at a distance. <laughs> That's what I'll be doing. Well, I appreciate that, boo. <laughs> You're welcome, boo. <laughs> so. Well, after, you know, ghost hunting, I think I would be hungry like you. So- <laughs> well, all that running, exerting all the energy, sweating. Well, I'm not going to try to run from the ghosts, but, you know, <laughs> you know, if the ghosts want to come eat with me, I have a few places that I went to that they can come <laughs> along to. <laughs> mm, well, maybe you could tell us about it on Bushy Boos one of these days. <laughs> But no, I did. I also had some culinary adventures like you did. Oh, please share. And so I went to a, a place in Ontario, California, and it's called Rodeo X, and it's a public marketplace, and they have several food um, locations within that building. So you know how there's like these communal buildings now that have 
different restaurants mm -hmm. and eateries within almost and, like the riverside food lab or um there's one in ontario too yes i think uh, it's on haven mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's like the haven market or something like yeah. that mm -hmm. and they're they're popping up all over the place there's another one that's a big one in anaheim the packing district and so uh there i felt saw on yelp this place called shoots it's shoots with a z oh like shoots and ladders yeah exactly with a z though <laughs> But and I and they were they intrigued me because they they're supposedly a Hawaiian inspired food from the soul is what they say, and so I went to go try them out. The food pictures looked good. The reviews were good on Yelp. So when I got there, the first thing I had to try is loco moco, mm -hmm. which is a very Hawaiian dish. Love me a good loco moco. <laughs> and I have to say, this loco moco did not disappoint at all. Okay. In, in terms of the loco moco itself, because well, for put, our listeners who may not be familiar with loco moco, yes, no, I was getting to that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, thank you, thank you. No, because I, I was going to describe the dish, but um, what that is is a bed of rice, mm -hmm. and then they had a hamburger patty on top of that, and then uh, usually it's slathered. Slathered. I can't even say the word. Slathered. slathered thank you. You said it <laughs> earlier with your buffalo wings, but slathered with uh, a gravy. But what I appreciated about it, usually it's too much gravy for me. They didn't put a lot of gravy on this, which I appreciated. A friend of mine tried it later and he said he would have preferred more gravy. Mm. Um, but I, I probably know, would have preferred more gravy too, because you yeah, know I'm a sauce. I know you love your sauces. I you love your sauces. I don't like as much sauce. So this one worked for me. But then on top of that was a, and this is the part you won't like as much, a runny egg yolk. <laughs> So when I do order loco moco, I ask for the egg fried hard mm -hmm. on top. So <laughs> what you would have to do hard. at shoots. <laughs> so shoots, if she's coming to you, you know you know what she's gonna ask. So. I like it hard. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> but uh, so the hamburger patty, gravy, the egg on top. I like the runny egg, so I broke that yolk and it was kind of coming down. Um, but so that portion of it was really nice, but they also serve it with a side of um, macaroni salad. Mac salad. Mm -hmm. And I did not think it was that good. Mm. Um, and it was unusual too. Actually, I went back to that location a few days later because a friend of mine wanted to try. So we, I took him. And the first time I had the mac salad with my dish, uh, it was kind of bland, nothing special, but they didn't, it was plain. Mm. And then the second time we went, there was tuna in it. Oh, and I didn't okay. remember their tuna there being tuna the first time. So I was like, what's this new texture in my mouth? And I was like, I looked at it. It's like, there's tuna in this thing. Did they at least have like some type of like green onions cut up in the mac salad? Or was it no. just like mayo and macaroni? Is mayo and macaroni. I think a maybe a little bit of paprika. Mm. Um, and then the second time around tuna, which was unusual to me. But uh, but the thing is, it's like it, it didn't it wasn't flavorful. So there was nothing like that made me want to finish the whole macaroni salad. almost like wasted calories right like if you don't taste it why am i going to waste my calorie intake on something that's not good yeah per se yeah no well, i'm but, sorry but you know i recommend it for the local moco itself but the second time i went i had to i tried the other dish i wanted to try which was um the kimchi butter katsu chicken. Mm, so those of you, delicious. yeah, you may be familiar with katsu chicken. It's like the Japanese fried chicken mm -hmm. in a in a panko breaded uh, chicken, mm -hmm. and so but and then the, they kind of combine that with the Indian butter chicken. So this juicy buttery chicken 
covered in fried panko mm. and it was really good it melted in my mouth butter and fried yeah it sounds like a Paula Deen dish <laughs> <laughs> everything's better with butter <laughs> no but and both dishes were $12.99 and that also came with two scoops of rice and the mac salad this time the tuna with it but <laughs> tuna mac salad yeah tuna mac they didn't say that the first time it doesn't say that on the menu either um, I, mean, I think somebody decided I'm gonna get creative today but I mean, um maybe the other... they had like tuna that was gonna go bad pretty soon and they're like just throw it in the macaroni oh, and gee, stir thanks. it up <laughs> well I'm, I hope you didn't eat that food I'm just saying maybe <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't get sick so I'm okay oh good that's a that's a blessing <laughs> but as you know with Hawaiian food uh Hawaiians love their masubis Mm, right love me some masubi too so and masubis for those of you who aren't familiar generally is uh, a block of rice with a piece of fried spam a slice of fried spam wrapped in seaweed and so and sometimes they might incorporate teriyaki sauce or some katsu sauce in there as well but it's very yummy and flavorful if you love spam you will love masubi if you don't love spam you may not because some people are, have a hatred towards spam for that's unreasonable to me i think spam has a good flavor i've never had any issues with spam especially when you get it nice and crispy mm -hmm. that's mm. the way to eat it that's the way Boo! remember when you made masubis and you brought them to work i did yeah we're so i was so happy i i should make some more you should <laughs> and let me know when you make them of course you'll be the first oh thank you boo <laughs> so but i had to try what they called their spam brulee musubi oh and okay. it was actually quite delicious so the spam could have been fried a little longer a little crispier but um you know when you go to a sushi restaurant and they slather all that that orangey sauce on top kind of like spicy mayo yeah th mm -hmm. there you go and of course cam doesn't like that <laughs> i'd be most... like no spicy mayo <laughs> Most people do, but they kind of put that on top of the masubi and they torch it a little bit. And so that's why it's the spam brulee masubi. And actually it's very flavorful. Cam might not think so as much because of all of the mayo. I actually personally don't like that much mayo either. Uh -huh. And I'm kind of like you, if it's a flavorful mayo, I'll make an a, a exception to that. Just mm -hmm. like an aioli, I love a good aioli. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one that they have is the honey coconut shrimp masubi. Ooh. which you might enjoy because you like walnut shrimp Kim I do I do it basically tastes like walnut shrimp in a masubi oh and how could you go wrong <laughs> exactly with rice and then wrapped in seaweed and yeah. then dipping in some type of like sauce mm. that's why I feel like it's mislabeled they say coconut a honey coconut shrimp and I saw it in there but because of the sauce it tastes like walnut shrimp to me yeah so um but you know it's a the first time around when I had it I didn't think they put enough shrimp in there. The second time around, you know, I think it's going to be hit and miss. They had enough shrimp where it felt meaty and, and worth the price. Um, so, and then they had a juice that I enjoyed, which was the Sunset OJ. It was basically a blend of orange juice and pineapple. So when I see those drinks, Sunset or Sunrise, mm -hmm. I, and this could be biased, but I think that those types of drinks originated from Roscoe's chicken and waffles and I could be wrong but I can just remember visiting Roscoe's like 10 years ago and ordering a sunset or a sunrise and then all of a sudden you go to these other restaurants and you see those types of drinks on the menu and I'm like I had this at Roscoe's like 10 years ago <laughs> I could see how you think that because I, I I know those drinks as well and 
yeah, they're not very common in a lot of places until now you see that quite often. Mm -hmm. But I could also argue Roscoe's might have taken the idea of the Arnold Palmer, yes. you know, and then mm -hmm. created those. But you could also say our, maybe Roscoe's, we have to look through the history, maybe Roscoe's <laughs> did create that. Well, you know, my people, we do like fruit punch with anything. That's true. <laughs> they, they do like flavorful fruity drinks. <laughs> and there is a history of appropriation from your peoples. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know. So, but that's a good observation. <laughs> no, but that sounds like a really good, refreshing, flavorful drink. It was. Yeah. And then afterwards, um, you know, you, I'm not one to eat tons of calories because of my current lifestyle where I'm trying to work out and things, but that was kind of a day off I gave myself. And because <laughs> I was, yeah, and I was treating myself. It was a treat yourself day, boo. But because <laughs> I was there and I saw this place called Fika Fika Creamery, mm. and they had all these, they were artisan ice creams and they had an array of innovative flavors, like ones that I hadn't seen before. I was like, I must try this place. So just to give a rundown of some of the flavors that they had, they had coconut milk, cookies and cream, uh, taro milk, uh, lychee or lychee as some people might say, uh, Hokkaido milk tea ice cream, brown sugar milk, Thai tea, guava, passion fruit, mm -hmm. sea salt, chocolate, and cappuccino. Oh, the Thai tea one sounds so good. <laughs> they all sound delicious, but I think out of all of those, I would want to try the Thai tea first mm -hmm. and then go down the list. So I had I thought of you when I saw the Thai tea, um, but the one I didn't even have any of those because there were other flavors I had wanted to try ahead of those. And so one I had was the vanilla lavender, Ooh. and it's actually it was really it was, had floral notes to it, but it was very subtle and it was enjoyable. And the one that the other two that I enjoyed the most were the young coconut ube. You okay. know I love me some ube. Yeah, we know you love you some ube ube. So. <laughs> It was quite delicious, um, very subtle flavors as well. I mean, the ube was strong, but not too strong. But the one that was the most unique that I've never seen in an ice cream is the Fuji apple ice cream. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I, I can see how that flavor is good because Fuji apples are delicious. Yeah, and when, it was I have them. so crisp and light tasting and just so refreshing on the palate. It's like, uh, I would definitely have that again. Did it taste um, like summer in your mouth? It did basically. You you described it very well. It tasted like a nice spring summer day in in the mouth, and you know I was just transported into an orchard <laughs> with this gentle breeze blowing across my face. Oh, sounds like you needed to be on Coronado <laughs> Island while eating that ice cream. That would have that would have been perfect. It's it's a good summery ice cream, uh, but you know, and just because I'm talking about ube, and I had just mentioned it. I do want to say real quickly that I went to Trader Joe's recently and they had ube tea cookies. Ooh. And, you know, it's one of those things where Trader Joe's carries for a hot second and it's gone. Mm. So I make sure I bought a couple boxes, but now I regret not buying, just only buying two because I probably needed to buy more. I, I bet you when I go back next visit, they're going to be completely out. So is it like the season for ube inspired <laughs> foods or you can get ube flavored foods year round? You can get them year round. It just happened to be coincidental, I guess, that Trader Joe's carried it. Mm -hmm. um, but for those, again, who aren't familiar with ube, it's a purple yam originally from the Philippines. And, you know, to describe it, it has like a sweet, mellow flavor. It's kind of vanilla tasting with a little bit of nuttiness to it. And ube actually means tuber, which is like root vegetables in Tagalog, uh, the oh. Filipino language. And so 
Um, I do want to clarify for those listeners out there, because I'm not an expert, but this happens to me a lot. There's a difference between ube and taro. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places like boba places will use those interchangeably and they're not the same. And you're like, excuse me, <laughs> this yeah. is inaccurate. <laughs> because ube is sweeter. And like I said, it has a vanilla taste to it. Taro is another root vegetable, but it's more savory tasting. Mm. And so some places will say it's an ube milk tea. So I'll order it, but then it's the, it doesn't have that sweetness to it that I have like that you would get with an ube. Do you ask to speak with the manager? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not one of those people because, you know, <laughs> but I've, I've learned my lesson from a couple of times where now I say, when you give me this, if I order ube, is it purple? Because ube is distinctly purple. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, no, it's not purple. Then I know it's actually taro. Yeah. So, well, if it's taro, then what color would it be? It's basically like a, a, a beigey white, not beige, mm-hmm. but it's like a white, whitish color. Okay. Uh, there'll be no color to it, basically. So, what, before I order an ube drink at a boba shop, I'll ask them, what color is that drink? And they, if they say purple, then give me one. Thank you. You're like, good answer. <laughs> good answer. But, you know, I don't want to get it, be a Karen and be like, that should not be called Ube. <laughs> but as it is, uh, like, so again, taro is often used in savory dishes and Ube is more commonly associated with desserts. Well, thank you for that lesson. You're welcome. Yeah, we try to enlighten our listeners. Yeah, I think we do a good job, though. I think so, too. I have to say real quick, you did enlighten some listeners on black hair when you talked about sister locks. Oh, well. Thank you, listeners. I'm happy that I was able to educate you. Yeah, one of our listeners had reached out and said that they were able to use the information you gave them in a conversation. Uh, They were Asian and they talked to their Black friend. Okay. And their Black friend was impressed that they knew this information. (laughs) Thank you, Cam. Look at us being educators. (laughs) I mean, that's what we are at the core anyway. That's what our jobs are. But, you know, I, I, I... I like that we can chat entertainingly, I hope, to our listeners, as well as teach them a few things that maybe they didn't know. Yeah. So while I'm eating all this food, I'm, oh, I'm eating my ube cookies. <laughs> I'm watching the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series that came out oh, on Disney+. Plus. That's like my favorite pastime, like eating and watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When you do those two things at the same time, the food just tastes better. <laughs> Well, especially if you're on a like a relaxing couch or yes. recliner or something. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'm not a big Star Wars fan. Let me lead with that, people. Uh, but I wanted to check this series out because, you know, I've caught Star Wars. I've watched the movies, but I've never really gotten into it, which is unusual for me because I'm a, a pop culture connoisseur and I love all things sci-fi, pop culture, comic book related. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi, you know, like I said, sci-fi. You are. But I, I for- can accept that. <laughs> For some reason, Star Wars, I've never gravitated towards it, but I've watched the movies, like I said, so I know the storyline to a certain degree, but I haven't memorized things like the true fans. So then, you know, when they know that this was set in this time of the season or year or whatever in the storyline, I don't know all that. <laughs> well, and I may be dragged for this, but I have never watched a Star Wars movie from start to finish. And, and there's know, like a lot of them, right? I don't even know how many... Star Wars yeah. movies there are but there's like I, a ton of them now I've never seen a complete one so then you have all these side series too and so like Obi-Wan which is a limited series on Disney plus mm-hmm. but I primarily watch it because of Ewan McGregor himself and the rest of the cast that I saw coming up in this thing mm-hmm. and I know there was some interest for you in the cast but let me say some of the names 
And uh, besides you, and there's Joel Edgerton, who I loved originally from Kinky Boots way back in the day. Mm -hmm. And then Sung Kang, who played Han in the Fast and the Furious series. Mm -hmm. He's in this thing. So I was like, oh, I got to check it out for him. Jimmy Smith. I love Jimmy Smith. Hayden Christensen. I like Jimmy Smith too. Okay. I like Hayden Christensen. <laughs> and then uh, lastly, Kumail Nanjiani. And who I like. <laughs> I know you had mentioned to me that you find him very handsome, right? He is very handsome and I have eyebrow envy. I'm so I just wish my <laughs> eyebrows were as thick as his. He does have great eyebrows, actually. But also, is Ice Cube and O'Shea in in this uh, limited series? Yeah, O'Shea Jackson's in it. He, he wasn't in the first two that premiered, but I think he's in there later. Oh, O'Shea, excuse me, not O'Shea. <laughs> <laughs> But well, yeah. I, I noticed that the cast was very diverse. So well, I didn't uh, another that. interesting person in the cast is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, He's in there too. So. Didn't I did not know he was in, in this one that just yeah. came out. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I watched it primarily because I was like, oh, that I love all these actors. I have to check this out. And again, I'm not into the storyline. And so this is set 10 years after episode three movie, Revenge of the Sith. And so for Star Wars fans, that's a big deal for me. I'm like, eh, okay. So <laughs> oh, okay, whatever. But I'm just watching it for these actors. <laughs> and, you know, I enjoyed the actors that I saw. And Kumail actually is one of the best parts from what I've seen. He was really funny. And his character at first, you're like, oh, he's a con artist. He's not likable. But he redeems himself. Okay. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, Star Wars has a knack for introducing stories of annoying children. <laughs> because <laughs> so, they had young princess leia in this and that's part of the storyline was that obi-wan had to go rescue a kidnapped princess leia okay and she's 10 years old at this point and this is you know of course carrie fisher the uh, um, rest in peace carrie fisher she played princess leia in all the original star wars movies mm -hmm. and so this is her younger version now we're seeing and we've never seen uh, the fans have never seen her home planet of her growing up. So this is the first time they're getting a glimpse of it. So a lot of people are freaking out about that. Uh-oh. But I don't, I don't blame like the young... Freaking out in a good way. Like Oh, yeah. Excited. like Yeah, they're excited okay. that they're finally getting to see where Leia grew up and how she grew up. Okay. Um, but because you know, they've always called her Princess Leia, but that we've never seen her royal life. So this is the first glimpse of it, I think. But uh, the young actress who played Leia, she did a really good job. Uh, Vivian Lyra Blair, I think is her name. But they wrote the character really annoyingly. <laughs> annoyingly <laughs> so how? Is she like always like complaining or? Well, the good thing nagging? is you can see this young actress growing up to be the sassy adult that Carrie Fisher played because okay. she's a sassy young girl. Mm -hmm. But the, she did things that were just so frustrating. Like, you know, they're being chased by the villains but she was running off because she was upset with Obi-Wan about something. And it's like, not now, girl, not now. <laughs> you're like, stay on the course, stay on the course. And I know you're 10 years old, but there are certain points where they made her act like she was 50 years old, like she was so wise. And I'm like, okay, but you're still 10 and being stupid, but you're 50 and wise too. So, you know. <laughs> like, make it make sense. Yeah, as she was frustrating me. right now. Again, I don't blame the young girl. I just blame the writing of that character. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing about that, you know, I don't want to get too much of the show because I'm not, a, like I said, a big Star Wars buff. But what I do not like about Star Wars, from every time a sh new show comes out, especially the newer versions of the movies coming out within the last decade, um, every time they introduce people of color 
the Star Wars fans go crazy and not in a good way. They get really toxic mm. and, and, you know, just uh, basically racist. Mm. So in this series, we get introduced to the actress Moses Ingram, who plays uh, the Inquisitor character, Reva Savender, Savender. And, you know, I can... For me, she didn't hit me in a way that I wanted her to hit that character. Like the actress herself, I don't have a, a problem with her being Black. It's just that I thought the character should have been a little more fiercer, but I mm -hmm. couldn't buy her having that fierceness. And I think yeah. I mentioned to you, like, I saw Tiana Taylor or somebody like that in this yeah. role, where you're I scared can, of her. Well, I can understand that because Tiana, she's a beautiful woman, but she has a stronger face. Mm -hmm. And Moses Ingram, her face is so inviting and warm. <laughs> it's like, hi, how are you today? You know, and Tiana's yeah. like, what do you want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, and then so, yeah, Moses Ingram. She could, she could see her acting tough. And that's the problem with that, that I had with it. She didn't embody the character to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so, but I'm glad that she was in there. Um, but, you know, and, but I don't appreciate the fans attacking her because she shared on her Instagram that she's been receiving hundreds of misogynist and racist anti-Black wow. comments. And Remember? okay. Wow. Yeah. And that happens quite a bit to actors of color in the Star Wars franchise because that happened to John Boyega when he uh, premiered in his movie, uh, which one was that? Episode seven, The Force Awakens. And then also to Kelly, uh, Kelly Marie Tran, who's Vietnamese American. And when she premiered in episode eight, uh, The Last Jedi, fans went crazy where she had to shut off her Twitter because they were just saying so many horrible things to her. And imagine like you're gonna spend time out of your day to be hateful to someone and to send them a DM, it's like, why? Yeah. why would you like what satisfaction do you get from that i can never understand it because i'm not that type of person but for people who do do that it's very telling and it shows a lot about who they are right as mm -hmm. a person it's unfortunate very well sad. what's also unfortunate is like because i don't know who all these people are tweeting but there's an assumption that they're mostly white probably white males who love mm -hmm. the star wars franchise and they're basically saying blacks and asians don't belong in space you know <laughs> and unfortunately if we're moving from Earth to space in the future, we're going to be all mixed of people, you know, a, a mixture of peoples and ethnicities and colors. And this is science fiction, people. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not real. Like, let's start there, right? It's exactly. But and then whoever, I mean, if there is life on space, right? They don't want you up there, white man. <laughs> Well, we want peaceful, a peaceful society. We don't want you people with your hatred. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, on a lighter note, kind of, kind of lighter note. <laughs> I watched something more invigorating and uplifting for myself. Well, well, good. Let's move away from these Star Wars fans. Yeah. Hateful. By toxic fans. <laughs> but I, I watched a, an ABC special, which is the first ever primetime program celebrating the diversity of Asian culture. It was called Together as One celebrating Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander heritage. And it was a one hour special, like I said, and basically talking about different facets of the Asian American community. Um, and like I said, Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders. It's a mouthful. So I'll say, if I say Asian American, <laughs> I mean all of us. <laughs> but- um, Well, you were just talking about Loco Moco earlier. So I, I think that's yeah, very, that's like it, it you know, fits in, so. And I see that's, I think that's why I'm drawn to those foods. <laughs> <laughs>
But yeah, Margaret Cho had a little monologue at the beginning, and then it was hosted by the great George Takei from Star Trek, uh, which is the franchise I personally like better than Star Wars. I know, don't hate me, people, but it's true. I mean, I like Star Trek a lot. Um, and then uh, Juju Chang, the ABC reporter, Emmy award-winning reporter, um, also did segments throughout. But there are five distinct segments in the special, which you know I'll briefly cover real quick. But uh, like I said, they were uplifting to me. The first one was uh, Rising Up with Hope and Activism. And they spoke to a 13-year-old Korean-American girl, um, Nina Fedor, who, whose mom was the victim of um, slurs in the mm. Bay Area. Wow. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. So she created, uh, well, she started with a small rally, which she thought would be small, but uh, uh, 1,200 people came, I think. And so she ended up creating AAPI Youth Rising. And what her organization tries to do is advocate for Asian American history to be taught in classrooms uh, because you have all these school days in a year, but they're not one day is dedicated to talking about mm -hmm. Asian history mm -hmm. and Asian Americans are part of American history. Yeah, of course. So this girl was very clever by creating a lesson plan a one-page lesson plan to give to teachers to say, hey, if you would like, I've already created the lesson plan for you. So please share this to your students. Use it, right? Well, I think it's very timely, especially with the critical race theory issue mm -hmm. happening right now. I mean, we need this type of history to be taught in schools because I think students should be aware, right, of what has happened, especially in their state. Yeah. If it doesn't want to, if, if the U.S. doesn't want this to be taught in schools, just state level that's fine no i think it's that's the thing america was built on all peoples of color mm -hmm. and unfortunately even growing up when i was doing history it was all about the british you know coming to uh, basically all white history Christopher Columbus <laughs> yeah. over, but they left out the part where he killed all the indians and raped their women and but this is not that type of show yes. <laughs> Native Americans, Native Americans, Native Americans. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. But uh, yeah, no. But that's the thing. It's important. Like anytime you did see people of color in the history books, especially when we were growing up through school, it was always a negative portrayal. They were. Mm -hmm. We were always the other or the villain. Yeah. Right. So like slavery or you know uh, the Japanese Pearl Harbor, and so it's just like, and the whites were always the heroes in our history books. Mm -hmm. But. Um, so another area was called Shattering Stereotypes, where they talked about Asians in media and representation in media. And for the longest time, it was all negative portrayals in Hollywood. And um, they talked to James Hong, the actor. And some of you may know him through Big Trouble in Little China, or he's the voice of uh, Poe, Kung Fu Panda's father, <laughs> uh, the, the goose. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he came to Hollywood in the 1940s or 50s to be an actor and, you know, they gave him all the racist roles, you know, he had to put on that fake accent mm -hmm. or whatever. And a lot of times, and he talked about how he lost roles to white people playing Asians. Which is ridiculous. So, and, you know, we know that that's part of our American history in film mm -hmm. and, you know, like white people play, you know, blackface, you know, that was a part mm -hmm. of history as well, unfortunately. But so, you know, and how things are trying to change with like crazy rich Asians. They talked to John M. Chu, the director. And that was a pivotal point because it made Asians, even though it's a little excessive and we're, you know, we're materialistic in the movie, but it showed Asians as people in terms of love, their love lives and, 
you know, their wants and desires and things like that. So I think that's important to see. Yeah, not the typical stereotypes that you see in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and another interesting part of the entertainment portion that they talked about was they talked to Gede Watanabe. If for those of you who watch 16 Candles, it's a classic for a lot of people. They played, he played Long Duk Dong. And for the longest time in the Asian community, he was the butt of every joke, or not in the Asian community, but white people made him the butt of every joke. And that's how they knew Asians is through Lung Duck Thong. Mm. And he played the, like a hyper stereotyped Asian. And he was a, an exchange student, I think, with a white family. But the, the actor, of course, he regrets that that's what came of it. But at the time, he didn't know any better either. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he acknowledges, and I acknowledge too, that that thing, that representation had to happen negative, even if it was negative. Mm-hmm. So we can converse about it and say, that's wrong. Let's yeah. move forward from that. Yeah. And similar discussion with um, Karen Ananaba and Diane Mazora, Mazora, sorry, who played Fook You and Fook Me <laughs> in the uh, Awesome <laughs> Powers in Gold, in Gold Member movie. And that was the one Beyonce was in. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I remember saying, I remember seeing that movie and yes, I thought it was funny, but at the same time, I just felt embarrassed that that's how people who were non-Asian were seeing Asians. They're like, oh, I'm fuck you and fuck me. Hey, you know, yeah, it, it was just kind of really embarrassing. Well, and it's, it wasn't that long ago, right? Yeah. Not like it was like 50 years ago. No, this was like 15, Within the last 20 yeah, years exactly. ago. Where this yeah. was acceptable you know and then for those actors and actresses who did play those roles i mean yeah they were working right that's how they paid their bills so i know to them it's like well yeah this is racist or stereotypical but it's a way for me to work and make money yeah i don't i don't blame them at all especially yeah. given the circumstances at the time mm-hmm. like we didn't have all this um inclusivity that we have now yeah you know people of color back then had to accept we were stereotyped yeah you know and even then the mindset was it wasn't wrong because it's just it was what it was you know and it was accepting like exactly. people were accepting of it and it was that was just the way <laughs> yeah unfortunately yeah mm. but you know we're growing we're growing so uh, another uh, segment they had was finding unity where they talked to some activists um about how the Asian community has to gather together to support and uplift one another, as well as other communities, such as when they join Black Lives Matter marches, or when they're jo- we're trying to uplift and help the transgender community with their visibility. Mm-hmm. So it's about all these uh, communities coming together, these marginalized mi- minorities and communities coming together and supporting and uplifting one another in a positive way and not fighting one another, just fighting the establishment. Yeah, essentially. Um, and then fighting hate was another segment where they talked to three uh, Asian women, Asian American women, uh, and about their different experiences. One was Korean, uh, one was uh, Dalit American, and another one was Japanese. And I want to talk about uh, the Japanese woman, Noriko Nasu, and she was assaulted. And, you know, just like after COVID came out and a lot of Asians were assaulted because, you know, people were saying, go back to your country mm-hmm. and attacking them, especially the elderly. Yeah, but, that's unfortunate. Only because our president at the time, that was the narrative that he created, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and well, yeah. these people, these attackers, primarily white male, yeah. um, they were cowards in the sense that they never did it directly. They always ambushed people from behind, you know, or did it in groups. But uh, so this young lady Noriku uh, somebody 
hit her in the face with a, a sock full of rocks mm. while she was work, uh, walking with her non-Asian boyfriend. And they purposely went out of their way to avoid him and hit her in the face specifically. But uh, because he didn't say any racial slurs at her, he wasn't charged with anything other than a minor assault charge. Okay, I was going to say not with anything, but at least he got a minor assault charge. Because but I he got he off right away. Of course, so. because <laughs> they usually do. <laughs> and so, and, the, and then she's living with the repercussions because she had so much extensive damage to her face. She basically says she has a new face. So when she looks in the mirror, she sees a different person. So I can't even imagine that. And, that. and, and not purposely doing st- uh, uh, plastic surgery to yourself. You know? Yeah, like having to do it. Yeah. But, you know, so, but, you know, they're fighting to make this visibility for the community and awareness so people don't suffer through what she suffered through. And then the last segment uh, that they had was uh, safeguarding Native heritage, which is the Native peoples of Hawaii is trying to keep their culture and heritage intact because unfortunately it's getting, for lack of a better term, whitewashed you know, mm. with tourists coming in and when mm-hmm. they became all well, the because, surfers and things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, and I think people might not realize that Hawaii was their own entity until they were overthrown and taken by the U.S. Mm. And then they were made a state. And so and so they were their own kind of Polynesian peoples minding their business, basically. <laughs> and so then now they're being forced to because there was a period where they were forced to learn uh, learn English and not speak their language. It was illegal for them to speak their Hawaiian language. And so now there's people in their uh, in their state who are trying to maintain their language with the youth and the, make sure that the youth it carries on with them. Because mm-hmm. unfortunately, there are so many dying languages in the world. And, yeah. you know, and that's one of them. Well, and that's important, right? To keep that in their culture. I can remember the last time I visited Hawaii Hawaii, I said correctly. I know you're looking at me like that's not how you say Hawaii. (laughs) Sorry, boo. No, no, it feels like I had to get used to saying it too because, but I don't want to, I want to say it the way it's supposed to be said. Yes. Uh, Our tour bus driver, he said that he was Troy Palomalu's dad. And so for our listeners out there, Troy Palomalu, he is a very famous retired NFL player. I believe he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And he you can see him in head and shoulders commercials now because he has this beautiful, long, wavy black hair. I have total hair envy. But anyway, this man said he was Troy Palomalu's dad. And he just did that to keep himself occupied because, of course, you know, he was taking care of his son was this famous NFL player. And while we were on the bus, he was telling us native things about the island and foods and things like that. And then he said, and these white crackers are trying to come in here <laughs> and take it all away. <laughs> and he said it loud. And he did not even think twice about saying that. Now that's a racist term. <laughs> and I don't condone that kind of language. <laughs> but the reason why it caught me off guard is because there were white people on the tour bus and yeah. he, he said it loud and proud. I was like, okay. But, <laughs> but it so shows I, you. Yeah. I'm sharing that to say, yes, they are very passionate about keeping their culture, you know, making sure mm-hmm. their culture lives on. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So, I mean, to a certain degree, it might not help for him to say it that way, but <laughs> that just shows you again, like you just said, how passionate he is to make sure that they, keep their culture alive and it's not overtaken by 
um, popular American culture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately watching this show really uplifted me in terms of my Asian heritage. And even though there were a lot of problems highlighted, it showed the strength of the community, which is something it's important to see those kind of things and those stories. Because again, growing up for me too, like Margaret Cho said in her opening monologue, you didn't really see much positive representation for ourselves. And I'm sure it's the same with you in the Black community mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And so to, you know, and now we're getting this special, uh, each segment could have been an hour on their own and I would have watched it. But, uh, you know, I do appreciate ABC for having the special, even though it's taken so long, but at least they gave us one. I don't, CBS, and uh, NBC, <laughs> I don't see our special, CW. Call them out, <laughs> call them out. <laughs> and it's a start, right? So maybe, maybe next year, those other networks will say, okay, well, we got to get our stuff together. Right, because ABC did it, so now it's our turn. And then if they don't next year, then you just have to look at them and be like, you know what, I'm protesting. I'm no longer watching your network. <laughs> well, I also have to acknowledge TBS slash TNT. They, even though it's during commercial breaks, they do talk to Asian uh, important figures or actors or celebrities in the Asian culture uh, to talk about their experiences being Asian in a positive way. So it's like little commercial segments uh advertisements or whatever but it's nice that they're doing those little informative segments so that people watching can see the positivity within the uh the community they're trying they're <laughs> trying and it's a start <laughs> it is so yeah well i've been watching tv as well totally opposite of what you've been watching i've been binging trash tv <laughs> so you've been watching reality tv <laughs> i have I, have you heard of love match atl on bravo i was gonna say this is the one on bravo right yeah yes. I, I have i've caught a little snippet of an episode and i didn't want to get suckered into this show i mean it looked compelling so but the part that i did see but yeah i was like i don't want to start another trashy show myself i'm, I'm a victim i'm <laughs> well <laughs> Our listeners already know because you've talked about all these other Netflix shows you watch. <laughs> well, and usually I do not watch Bravo because um, Bravo, they have all of the Real Housewives uh -huh. franchises. And there's a new one, Real Housewives of Dubai, which yep. I think I may tune in just to see what's going on over there. Well, before you get into Love Match ATL, I mm -hmm. do. I, too, am interested in Dubai. But there are already issues because of people are attacking Bravo mm -hmm. and Andy Cohen because of human rights issues. Yes, I saw that. So, but I still want to see the fabulousness of these ladies. I just want to witness the luxury, right? Me too, because so I can cry in my living room. <laughs> like, talk about bougie. They're like, there's another, they need another word other than bougie. <laughs> Opulent. <laughs> well, it. I know that the Dubai franchise, they're going to pull in a lot of viewers. I know oh, they are. for sure. I think, yeah. are they, I think there's still a lot of people not aware how overly bougie Dubai can be. So I think once people see this series, it's going to open their eyes to like, I feel dirt poor. <laughs> Make you get kind of sad a little bit. You got to snap at it. Right? Like they already are thinking, okay, Atlanta, they, they, they doing all right. Beverly Hills, oh, they fancy. Mm -mm. Wait, till, mm -mm, wait till you see Dubai. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, going back to love match. <laughs> you know what? Oh, uh, we have to go watch Dubai when it comes out, and we'll talk about that later. Yes, yes. That'll be like kind of like our thing, right? Maybe a segment. 
Because <laughs> I do want to see the whole season. If I'm going to, you know, start it, mm. I want to see how it ends. Well, well, how are we going to be bougie and not see what we should be living up to? <laughs> Gosh. See, God, God wants us to live that type of life. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it too. Thank you. Okay, love match ATL. <laughs> Okay, so Love Match ATL, it's a glimpse into personal and professional lives of five of Atlanta's hottest matchmakers. And so this industry is competitive. And of course, when you say matchmaking in Atlanta, you already know it's drama. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's like there's still matchmakers these days. Because when I think of matchmaker, I think of like that matchmaker in Mulan. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to API Mo. <laughs> Well, the first episode of Love Match ATL, it aired May 8th, so just this month, not too long ago, mm-hmm. and the series, it follows a total of one, two, three, so four different matchmakers, so you have the matchmaking duo, and the co-owners of matchmaking duo, duo excuse me, it's Kelly Fisher and Tana Gilmore, so what I do like about this series is it's successful Black people, and you were just mentioning this, David, right, like, having Asians play those stereotypical roles or having black people play like the help on TV, but you see these professionals and they're living good lives and they have good professions. So that's what I can appreciate about the show. I can also say that the show is trash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it's not Bravo, it's going to be trash. (laughs) But the matchmaking duo, so these two powerful black women, they've been featured on Steve Harvey And when you look for matchmaking services, apparently they're the most sought after. So I was really happy to see that. And so for their program, they require their clients to take relationship coaching classes, image consulting sessions, and have a photo shoot. And so when I heard that, I'm like, oh, okay, so they're over there telling their clients you're ugly. (laughs) You know, uh, yeah, or they need to overhaul themselves to be attractive to people. Which could be a wrong message, right? Because it's not all about, okay, there has to be physical attraction. There has Mm -hmm. to be, but it's not all about physical attraction. So when I heard that, I'm like image consulting. I'm like, what goes on with the image consulting? Because if a person is comfortable dressing a certain way, you know what I mean? That's kind of sad to tell them, no, that's the wrong way. Well, I mean, just by you describing what they had to go through, I was like, dang, is that, is that a university course? What in the world? I'm tired already. Well, <laughs> the process can take two months before even going on your first date. It is a university <laughs> course. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can see how these types of services can be beneficial, especially for like lawyers, doctors, or professional athletes, because mm-hmm. they don't have a lot of time to date people. So basically you're paying for these people to do all of like the background work for you and then just you go on a date so the matchmaking duo they have tiered services and so one of their packages starts at twenty five thousand dollars, and that's for the cheap package (laughs) so you already have a sense of their clientele because i mean i'm sorry but my current budget (laughs) does not have room for a twenty five thousand dollar matchmaking service Just $30 oxtail. (laughs) You know, I'll pay for food. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Cam and I, we'll pay for fine dining too. 
Um, then you have Colorblind International and the owner of Colorblind International, another successful black woman, her name is Ming Clark. And what she specializes in is interracial matchmaking. Oh, so colorblind. There you go. <laughs> but it's also interesting because her Colorblind International brand is also a wedding dress boutique, <laughs> which can get super weird because so she'll have like her male clients come in for their intake meetings right and she has to hide the wedding dresses because these male clients are coming in thinking oh she's going to ask me certain questions about my lifestyle but then if you see a giant wedding dress in your face aren't you going to be like okay wait a minute it's like we jump in the gun now i just want to date somebody <laughs> well and then Ming's story is also interesting because She's hinted at marital problems with her husband, who has never appeared on the show. And then also when they show pictures of her and her husband, his face is always blurred out. Oh, he didn't want to be on camera. I don't think he wanted to be on camera. And I think they need some work. I don't know what's happening there. Yeah, but she a matchmaker. What in the world? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm saying. How are you going to be a matchmaker? But then be like, oh, but me and my husband are going through a rough patch right now. And I know that people in relationships go through rough patches, but it's just hard to tell someone how they should act and be in a relationship if your relationship is not good. Well, if you're not setting the example that you're asking others to follow. Well, practice what you preach. Maybe you're not practicing what you preach (laughs) if there's trouble in paradise, you know? Um, The third company, Middle Class Matchmaker. And the CEO is Shay Premis, another successful Black woman. She is a certified matchmaker who seeks to connect single middle-class professionals looking for a partner. And so she also requires her clients to kind of go through a program. They have to meet with a psychologist to determine if they're mentally ready for a partner. But also, Shay is single. (laughs) And she's looking to the matchmaking duo to help her find love in the show. (laughs) <laughs> and so i'm like how are you a matchmaker going to a matchmaker isn't that well, crazy hmm? i mean they do do that with um therapists and uh, psychiatrists they yeah. see other psychiatrists so but you know i don't yeah but i it makes sense for psychiatrists because you know sometimes you've got issues you need to discuss it with somebody but how are you going to have a job where you match people but then you can't do that for yourself <laughs> red flags <laughs> You know, on Instagram, how you see all those red flags? That's uh, just red flag, red that flag. That is a red flag, especially for her company. <laughs> well, and then the matchmaking duo, they're open to taking her on as a client, but they have reservations because they're like, is she really looking for love or is she just trying to get insight for her own personal business? I could see that. Which I'm like, I hope that's not true. I hope she's going because she really wants to find love because I hate seeing, first of all, women not supporting other women. But then when you have black women on top of that, it's like support your sister, you know? So if you are going to the matchmaking duo for help, please be there to get help and not to steal their secrets on how they have ran a successful business. You but that's the saying? thing, when you're, so, when you're someone who's overly ambitious, you never know. <sighs> overly ambitious or backstabber? <laughs> Well, depends how you want to look at it. Well, 
so and this is why I'm going to continue watching. This is how they they hooked me, right? I was like, <laughs> oh my god, is Shay really gonna just try to get insights for her personal business, or is she gonna find someone? So then the last company, RealBlackLove.com, and so it's the RBL app. The founder and CEO of the app is Joseph Dixon. Oh, finally, our first male matchmaker. Yes, and he kind of irritates me because he calls every female on the show queen (laughs) queen queen hey queen how you doing queen thank you queen beautiful queen (laughs) it's just like (laughs) i get he's trying to use it as a term of endearment but when it comes out of his mouth like a hundred times in the conversation yeah it it becomes like not genuine at that point and he he's like oh to me he's full of himself right he's successful black man in Atlanta. He has nice skin, like well manicured. He looks good. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. He's, he's kind of like too out there for me. Too much of an oil slick coming off of him. Kind of. Well, and then it's important to note that all of the other ladies that I mentioned, they're certified matchmakers meaning they have went through the 10 week course to be certified. <laughs> the 10 whole, they got a certificate. <laughs> Well, Joseph is not certified, but yet he calls himself a matchmaker. And he tells the other ladies that he doesn't need to go to a two-week course (laughs) to be certified. (laughs) And they have to correct him all the time. They're like, no, it's 10 weeks, not two. (laughs) Well, they're correcting him, then he's doing it on purpose. (laughs) He's doing it on purpose to get under their skin. But he feels that he doesn't need the credentials to be a certified matchmaker because he created this app, RBL dating app, and it's a successful app. And people pay upwards of $30,000 for his services. So he's like, why would I go back and get the certification if I'm already doing what you guys done? Well, I guess it's like that argument about how some people don't need to go to college and get a degree, right? To be successful. Which nowadays, there's a lot more opportunity out there for people without a college degree. Mm-hmm. So I I will say, you know, what, just 20 years ago, I don't think that those opportunities were out there, but you see them a lot more now. Yeah. So I, that's what that's what he's arguing. But And then his story is also interesting because his current partner, Paris, he met her on his dating app. <laughs> so before he, you know, I guess he probably did have someone while he was creating this, but, you know, things happen. Well, he met this girl. They're together. So now she's also a matchmaker, not certified. <laughs> so they're well, doing. She's going to steal his industry secrets. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's funny is on this latest episode, Joseph and Paris announced that they're starting their own school matchmaking university but the matchmaking duo they were like "Uh uh-uh we already had these plans way before you had your plans so they are starting their school as well so they're going to have two competing matchmaking universities go head to head i guess to see which one is the most successful Mm -hmm. and i'm not interested in becoming a certified matchmaker however if i did want to go that route for me, I would want to go with the university that has accreditation or who has people who actually went through the certification process, not just someone who's saying, well, I started an app and I was good at it. I don't know. What do you think? 
No, I think the the ladies, um, from the original ladies, they have the lineage and the heritage, or so to speak, yeah. in, in that culture mm -hmm. to back up uh, what they're doing in the sense that they've been doing it a long time. They're certified. I used to say that <laughs> certified. Ten week certification. Course. <laughs> I mean, you and I could go through that course and become matchmakers then. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been matching myself up all my life. <laughs> well, not all That's my true. life, but and since then, I've been dating and you and I do image consulta consultations for ourselves anyway. <laughs> I look in the mirror and be like, no, girl, this outfit is not cute. And then I change. <laughs> and I, and I, I would like to say that we both have good taste when it comes to clothes and we know how to dress. We know what goes together. And I could see how some people would go to someone for help in that area. But paying upwards of $25,000, $30,000 for it? Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. So that's the crazy, but I've done that for, uh, I've done that for friends for like a dinner, you know, <laughs> I should be charging way more. <laughs> I'm just saying, this is what these matchmakers are charging in Atlanta. We have been selling ourselves short, boo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 25000 or a $25 dinner. Hmm. <laughs> oh man. So yes, I look forward to, um, future episodes of the show. Like I said, it's trash, but it's a good storyline. And I just want to see where each individual matchmakers, where they end up. So, and then my question for you, Boo, will you ever use a matchmaking service? I would not. And well, I don't even, I'm not even interested in being with people in general. So um, I would have no use for it. Okay, fair. <laughs> how about, how fair. about you? If it was in my budget, and if I didn't have the time to go out and meet people, right? But for me, I think I'm a social person. I like to go places. I don't mind going places alone, case in point, my trip to Coronado. I think that's how you meet people, right? That's how you mm -hmm. put yourself out there. And you know me, I am not afraid to go up and talk to people. I mean, I've shared on the show. <laughs> Yeah, I shot or, my shot know, with my neighbor. Uh, yeah, your neighbor, the paint store man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I would have to really be at my wits end to go to a matchmaker and be like, match me up. But again, I would ask them, are you married? Are you divorced? <laughs> are you single? You know, like, what's your track record? And are you certified? Did you take the 10-week course? Yeah. I think that's better than, you know, getting desperate enough to go to a voodoo priestess. Oh, no. <laughs> no, never that. <laughs> oh, man. So, yes. Like, once again, Andy, Cohen, and Bravo, you've bought some more trash. You hooked me. <laughs> well, because I did not plan on watching Bravo because a lot of people that I liked from Real Housewives of Atlanta, they're not on this new season. And I don't watch the other franchises and Dubai's not on yet. So I have not really been watching Bravo, but then I saw this and I'm like, oh, I'm coming back, Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, Bravo just means top chef. There you go. Yeah. So, oh, well, there is my, my trashy series for you. Well, thank you. <laughs> You're um, welcome. I'm sure, I'm, I, think, I think we will, will be watching Dubai. So maybe our listeners are going to look forward to our opinions about that one. Yes. Well, I'm like, like you said, I'm looking forward to seeing the luxury 
and seeing the cars and just how people live and the food. I want to see the food. Yeah. <laughs> so um, while I cry in the corner about thinking about Dubai and how I'm not there, <laughs> anything else you need to say before we go? I'm going to go Google Dubai and just look at some pictures. <laughs> Why would you do that to yourself? Well, I can kind of, in my mind, be there. Yeah. well thank you listeners for listening to us i would like to encourage you to please check us out on instagram what's our instagram boo at bougie booze and then also you can email us um, if you have a suggestion or you want to share about something you're watching or if you need advice or you just want to say something email us bougie booze podcast at gmail.com looking forward to hearing from you yes all right well with that booze be bougie and remember you ain't got to be bougie if you stay bougie bye